so lucky to be um, together again. If you have a Bible uh, or a phone, don't you want to open it up to James chapter 1? That's where we're going to be uh, this morning. We're going to be in James uh, chapter 1. Uh, before before we read and dive into that, I'm going to pray uh, for the message this morning. So as you're navigating your way there, join me as we pray together, as we come to God's word this morning. Let's pray. Yeah, Father, at the start of uh, uh, another year, as a church family, uh, we want to ask again what we ask um, every week when we gather together, that um, you would show yourself um, faithful as you always do to speak to us through your word. Um, you have you have led us, you have guided our, our feet, you have changed us, you have sustained us all uh, because of of what you've done through your word, borne along by the Holy Spirit's power. And so again, at, on, on this Sunday at the start of a year, we, we pray again, we humble ourselves before you and say, Father, would you speak to us? Uh, not just today, but throughout this year, would your word shape and transform us? We want to look back on, on this year at the end of it and be able to say that you were again faithful to love us and to change us and to sustain us through the gracious power of your word. Um, and so we come now acknowledging again that we don't have within ourselves the ability to see what we need to see. We need your help. We need the illuminating help of the Holy Spirit to open up our eyes and to soften our hearts and to make us want to hear what you have to say to us this morning. And so we come now um, just to pause and, and ask that you, our good Father, would, would speak life-giving words to us again this morning. We need it more than we need anything else. And we thank you for your faithfulness in doing this. Um, and so we submit ourselves to you and your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. We start every year um, kind of the same. I love, I love the new year. I love New Year's. It's like, I don't love New Year's. Uh, you know, like the whole staying awake till 12 o'clock thing. That got old for me like very quickly when I was young. Uh, and this year, my cunning plan was actually to go to bed before New Year's, as it is every year. And I was well on track for my plan to be asleep, fast asleep at midnight until uh, our whole neighborhood turned into a war zone. And my paranoid staffy decided he was having none of this and needed lots of consoling through midnight. And so, Happy New Year. I was awake for that. So next year, my plan is to sedate the dog with dacha cookies which is apparently the new thing in our neighborhood. So next year, there'll be another update on how my New Year's plan went. But I like um, a new year. I love the energy of a new year. I actually have a lot of enthusiasm and support for people who come into a new year with the, like the new year, new me kind of vibes. You know, the New Year's resolutions, coming to church, getting your act together, whatever it is. I, I, have, I have a lot of sympathy, energy, and enthusiasm and support for that. I mean, I know it doesn't have long legs and normally by January, all of that stuff evaporates, but I think there is something to be said for that. I mean, and I don't know what your plan is for 2024. Some of you are not planners, so you have no plan, but some of you, you know, you spent December and now you, you've planned, like you're going to read more this year. Maybe you're going to become a vegan. P please reconsider your, your, some of your foolish plans. Some of you are going to get fit finally. Some of you are going to get thin. Some of you are going to travel more. Some of you are going to learn a new language. 
Some of you are going to finally finish Candy Crush. I, I, everyone's got different different goals. Um, maybe you're going to study something. In, in, in so many different areas of our lives, we often have a plan or a desire at least, a, an intention. I want to, want to do this, want to get there. And sometimes as Christians, we overlook having a spiritual plan, uh, desires for what we want to see God do in us um, and our, in our relationship with him. And my, one of my main contentions this morning is unless you have a plan for transformation and growth and change and you create the environment for that in your life, um, you will sit here next January um, at least in the same place, if not in a worse place, spiritually. Uh, you need a plan for spiritual uh, growth, a life-giving environment for your soul to flourish. And that's really what we're going we're gonna to look at this morning. I'm going to look at a passage that's a fairly familiar a passage from James and look at some stuff that I think uh, I feel particularly burdened can really uh, help us to grow. Uh, my, my heart's desire for myself and and for us as a church is that we would, we would grow. We want to grow, don't we? Okay, there's a few people who are keen on that plan. Uh, you you want to you love the Lord more. You want to live a more life-giving life. Um, th- that's at the heartbeat of what it means to be a Christian and to follow Jesus is that you don't just live in this world in a humdrum kind of way, just one day do- dissolves into another, a week, a week. We live with meaning and purpose. And the main purpose is that we see Jesus more clearly. We love him more. We're more effective and useful for him in the world. We live differently in this world than those who don't know Christ. If your main desire in this world is just to travel, to read, to become clever, fit, then do all those things. You have the same goals as, as people who don't know Christ. And there's nothing that separates us. What separates us as believers is that our driving force is to get closer to Christ because, and I'm going to make this argument later on, it is the very best thing for you. The very best thing for you in every sphere of your life. You, know, you, can, you can be fat and you can get into heaven. So don't worry about it. I mean, be healthy, you know. Now everyone's going to misquote me here. Don't, you should be healthy. But if you're more obsessed about the other categories than you are about your spiritual vitality, you need, at the start of the year, a reordering. A reordering. The number one priority for every believer in Jesus is getting closer to God and living a more life-giving walk with Him that affects every single area of your life. It's the number one priority. It's not, it's not one of the things, oh, yeah, yeah, let me add it to the list, John, I want to grow as a Christian. It has to be at the top because it has the most effect on everything else. Let's read uh, James chapter 1. We're only going to read a few verses here. There's a ton packed into these few verses. James chapter 1 from verse 22 to 25. Just dive in here. James says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. Will be blessed in what he does. Never, never before in the history of the world 
um, have Christians had such uh, access, such easy access to such an abundance of information? You have, if you have a smartphone, at your fingertips, access to books, sermons, podcasts, articles, courses, you name it. A treasure trove, more than you can ever consume, more than the history of the world has ever seen. What we lack is not access to information. What we lack, our problem is not access, our problem is obedience. Our problem is obedience. It's not access. It's not like, oh, if only I knew where to hear something that would help me grow or change or, or a good sermon, sermons that are better than Doug's. There's a lot of podcasts out there that will really help you. There are books upon books upon books that will change your life. You just need to read them and obey what's in them. Our problem is the abundance of information is actually, I don't think, drawn many of us in. It's kind of, you go on the internet to search for something uh, there's a plethora of stuff. Anyone with an uh, internet access can upload stuff. And sometimes people don't even know what to read, where to go. And so you just tap out kind of thing and let me not do, let me not involve myself with any of that stuff. James in this passage contrasts um, doers and hearers. And I'll start with the, I'm going to start with the hearers. The hearers. This is a contrast. They are hearers and doers. Hearers just listen. And he's got some pretty strong stuff to say about the hearers. I I only studied at Bible college. I didn't go to a, like a proper university thing. Uh, but And so at, at Bible college, you couldn't audit a class. I believe this is a thing that you can do at other places. You can audit. Like, And if you've never heard of this, auditing a class means that you can just go and listen and like be part of the vibes and whatever and learn. But you don't have to do any of the stuff. You don't have to submit any of the assignments and meet all the course requirements. You just sort of like soak up the information and listen. And that's what James is talking about here as hearers. They're people who audit. They come and they listen and they think that none of the requirements apply to them. They're just like, oh, oh that, that's interesting. That's, that's fascinating. Oh, wow. Um, and have no intention to actually do anything with the information they've received. And one of the things that is most sobering that James says about these hearers is that they deceive themselves. They deceive themselves. It's quite a strong statement. I mean, none of us would want to say, uh, have that descriptor over us, you're self-deceived. Self-deceived. What is a self-deceived person, somebody who thinks they are that, but they're actually that. And I know this is maybe a heavy, this is going to lighten up, don't worry, um, a heavy way to start the year, but it's, it, it remains my contention because I think, I think you see it in the scriptures that you can, you can think you're a Christian and actually not be a Christian. That's not something that I came up with. I think it's something that's in the Bible. So you, you, can, you can think you're a Christian and actually not be a Christian because the, the defining marks of a Christian are absent in your life. And one of James's arguments that he makes is that obedience to the Word of God, actually doing and acting on what you hear, is one of the defining marks that you are actually a Christian, that you are born again. If you're just a hearer, 
and you think none of what you hear applies to you, none of the course requirements are necessary in your life, that's just interesting information, he says you're, you're self-deceived. You may think that you're that, but you're actually not. It's quite arresting. And Jesus makes the same argument. I, I want to show you a couple of verses where Jesus um, really, um, multiple times, I'm only going to give you two verses, where he drills in and he says, obedience is at the center of what it means to love him. So, so church attendance means next to nothing. Trying to be a good person means next to nothing. Giving all your bucks away means nothing. Doing good works in, in the bigger picture of things means nothing. O- obedience is the evidence of love. If we say we love and we don't obey Jesus, we can say what we want, but there's a missing middle there. Um, John 15, verse 14, very simply, Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. And, and his friends are those who are born again. They will be with him for eternity. They are the genuine uh, believers. They are brothers and sisters of Jesus. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Not if you just think nice things about me. If you do what I command you. In John 14 verse 23, Jesus answers them, If anyone loves me, what he will keep my word. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. How does that happen that the Father loves him and then we come? They, they keep his word. It's the sign of if anyone loves me, they will keep my word. Listen to what John says in 1 John chapter 2 from verse 3. This is how we know that we know him. Okay? How do we know that we know him? If we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. That's the self-deception. So it's possible, John is saying, for somebody to say, I have come to know him, and yet don't keep his commands. That's where Jesus, James, John, they're all saying the same thing. The Bible affirms itself all over the place. It's not about what you say, it's about what you do. It's not to say, I love him. If there's an absence of obedience to the commands of God, there is no genuine faith. And he uses this analogy of a mirror um you, you've got to get your head slightly around this because m- mirrors back then aren't like mirrors now m- mirrors as we use them are a fairly recentish invention back then a mirror was like a polished up like bronze plate uh, for the most of the people the lanis had different metals but even then polished them up but it was still kind of insufficient but for most people it was like this dullish bronze thing you really had to give it a good old squiz to try and get any kind of bearing on what you look like some of you would love to live in a world like that where you don't actually see uh, what you look like most of the time others would be devastated you know some of you have got more to look at than others uh it's understandable but uh, but yeah i'm getting distracted um it required intense looking at to get uh, a real understanding of what you look like and James says that the, the hearers are like this. They, they, they put in some effort to, to see what they look like. And then as they put it down, immediately they walk away, they forget. They forget what they look like. And he, he equates um, looking with listening and forgetting with doing. There's, there's, a, there's a connection. This analogy of the mirror is like somebody can look at the mirror and they see themselves. That's the same as hearing the word. It says then they walk away. 
and they forget what they look like. That's the person who walks away and doesn't actually do anything with what they've, they've heard. He says, obviously, he's arguing that it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be like that. Rather, he con- con- contrasts this, you should gaze intently into the perfect law of freedom. I want to spend a bit of time on this because I think this is one of the biggest moving parts that will help you grow as a Christian. The perfect law of freedom. This, you notice how James describes the word, the Bible, the Old and New Testament as what? The, the perfect law. Everything that you need, you will find in this book. Say that again. Everything that you need, you will find in this book. I didn't say that. The word says this of itself that it is fully sufficient for you to thrive as a human being. Yeah, it's not going to teach you how to drive. I'm in that zone at the moment. I'm trying to teach Karis how to drive. Your prayers are appreciated for my safety and sanity all at the same time. It's not going to teach you some life skills. It's going to teach you everything you need to know God and to live um, a life-giving walk in this world and be purposeful and, and, and who you were meant to be. It is a perfect law, James describes it. What happens when you look into this law? What do you see? You do see perfection. You see two things most clearly when you look into the word. You see God and you see yourself clearly. You see the glory of God clearly. You see, you see Jesus Christ. Let me ask you that question. How do you know and learn more about who Jesus is and what he's like and what he requires of you in the world? There's only one answer, and it's this book. It's this book. There's no alternative things where you're going to find the other information. People can write books, but they write books about this book. This is the book. This is God speaking and revealing who our Savior is, what he's like, and what he's calling us to, and who we are in the light of who he is. So we see those two things clearly. We see, we see God clearly, and then we see ourselves clearly. That's why it's so important to be in this book. Because you can be self-deceived. You can think, yeah, I'm on, I'm on a great wicket. I'm doing wonderfully. And then you read this book and it, the, the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to convict us, to pierce us and to say, no, 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 no. There's this in your life. This is in your life. This is lacking. This needs to stop. The only way you make uh, ground and progress there is by living in this book. Otherwise, it can be your own thoughts. It can be the opinions of others that sway you and drive you. You just jump up and down because of others. This book is what you need to pay attention to because we see God clearly and we see ourselves clearly because in it we see Jesus. But it is a perfect law of what? Freedom. Of freedom. It's such an important word because the world will want to convince you that this book is about restricting you. That, that's really what Christianity is. There's many people who, mates of yours, who don't want to come to church. They don't want to come sit next to you. They don't want to accept your invitation to church. They think you, you're crazy because you're a Christian because Christianity just cramps your style. I shame. You know, you need a crutch in life. Understand that. But like, they don't want to become a Christian because they don't want to stop doing all the cool things that they get to do, all the fun, free things. You know, they want to live their life and razzle and whatever else. Um, except... That what they experience is slavery. 
I know it's counterintuitive, but what they experience is slavery. They are slaves to those things. Those things master them. Those things master them. What happens in the life of a believer is God leads us into a relationship with him and brings us into freedom. And this, this book is the perfect law of freedom. It's in this book where we see where our greatest freedom is found. And sometimes our freedom is lived out by embracing restrictions, by saying no to that and yes to this, and not doing everything our hearts desire. That's one of the weirdest and I suppose almost sinful mantras in the world. You know, that kind of like follow your heart kind of vibes. If you've got a coffee mug that says follow your heart, please throw it in the bin. Genuinely, like you don't need to be seeing that at six in the morning, follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. The Bible says that's a very bad idea. Your heart will lead you down deceitful paths. You can't trust your own heart. Don't follow your heart. Don't do whatever feels right. I mean, if, if you live like that, you end up in a world of pain. The Bible says, have a sober assessment of who you are. You have a father who loves you, and he's going to show you painstakingly over time what is actually in your heart and what you most desperately need. And then he's going to change your heart, and he's going to be, give you grace and strength to not do what's in your heart, to not just do whatever lights you up, to not always follow the easy things, to go without, to add in, to love others when it's uncomfortable. Houses for a simple phrase, love your enemies. Love your enemies. You heard that phrase before? Anyone with me? Yeah, okay, good. Do you know where that's found? Yeah, in, the, in this, not a trick question, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Love your enemies. That is crazy. It's crazy talk. To love your enemies, people who are out to get you, people who have sinned against you, who have violated you, who have hurt you. They are enemies. They are against you. The Bible says you should do what? Love them. Not ignore them. Not run away. Not pray for calamity on them. The Bible does do that as well. It's a complicated thing. But that's what makes the Christianity just so counter the world. It calls us to love our enemies. I would contend that outside of God's help, that is impossible. That's a miraculous spirit-born thing that God helps you to love an enemy. And there's plenty more of that in this book because it leads us to freedom. If you still believe that following Jesus faithfully is restrictive and is going to cramp your style, you haven't yet fully understood the freedom that God is inviting you into. And that's a main contention that God makes in his word, that you were made for freedom. You were made for freedom and you see it and you understand it by gazing intently into the perfect law of freedom. He contrasts the hearers with the doers. Let's chat about the doers. How does he describe them? He says that they persevere in obedience. That's not a flash in the pan thing. It's not like, you know what I'm going to do for the next three weeks? I'm just going to obey. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to read my Bible. It's a perseverance. It's that they persevere in these things. Not, not a New Year's resolution. Uh, I think it's Eugene Peterson wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's a wonderful phrase, isn't it? A long obedience in the same direction. You've set your face 
on Jesus, on faithfulness, and you just keep walking in that direction. And sometimes you wipe out, trip up, meander, wander, but you set your goal and your heart on the long obedience in the direction of Jesus. What does James say the result is? They're blessed in what he does. Don't you want that to be the, the banner over your life, the descriptor? That you are blessed in what you do. So the person who does what they see in the word is blessed in what they do. It doesn't mean that they're always happy. It means that their life is blessed. All their activity is blessed because obedience brings about God's blessing. That's something you need to bank. Obedience brings about God's blessing. It may be hard. It may be difficult. God hasn't called us to soft and easiness. And he does add his grace and his strength and his power to be able to do that. But obedience brings about blessing. This is what Jesus says in Luke 11, verse 28. He said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Hear and keep blessed. If you want to thrive in 2024, sound like a motivational speaker. In 2024 and beyond, if you want to live a blessed life, gun for an obedient life. And what are you going to obey? What you hear and what you see. It's what's in this book. That's why at this church we make a really big deal. Or we, just, we just teach through books of the Bible, kind of one after the other. Counter to that now, we're not going to actually do that for the next few weeks. We're going to do a different series. But as soon as we finish with that series, we'll be back in a book and we just keep stacking the books up because we don't want to obey what seems right to us or whatever cultural trend is drifting in the air. We want to just hear from this book, God, what are you saying to us? What are you saying to us? And then ask for his help in obeying. Hear and obey. Hear and do. What about those of you who are listening to this this morning and thinking, well, I've tried. I've tried to obey. I've tried to obey and I'm actually realized I'm not very good. I'm like a B-team Christian. Doug, maybe it's easier for you, uh, but I've really struggled. I've fallen on my face. It's like the 14th of Jan and you're already behind in your Bible reading plan. Some of you don't even know where your Bible is. You don't own a Bible. Um, some of you just feel bad this morning. I'm talking about reading the Bible and stuff like that, and you actually haven't read the Bible this year. Don't worry about it. I'm not here to shame you and make you feel bad and guilty. We're talking about freedom and growth, and what I want you to leave is with a conviction to say, if I want to get healthy and if I want to grow, I need to put my soul in the right environment for that to happen. It's not, it's not, not an attendance register. You're not getting brownie points or golden stars with God. But what happens when you've tried to obey and you've failed? you stop obeying you give up well this is the wonderful news of the rest of what this perfect law of freedom teaches us is that this is why you need a savior because you're going to try and obey and you're going to fail and you're going to try and you're going to fail and you're going to try and you're going to get it right and then you're going to try and you're going to fail and you're trying and you're going to get it right and that is the christian journey that we we were and we remain in need of a savior this is the great promise and the hope of the gospel that our, our failures are not fatal and they're not final because there is another who died in our place to bear the guilt and the shame and the cost of our disobedience eternally 
so that we are free. We're free to rest in that finished work and to pursue Jesus with all that we have. And you'll have great weeks of obedience and you'll have terrible weeks. You'll have wonderful seasons, life-giving, and you'll have wipeouts. And I want to encourage you to a long obedience in the same direction with your eyes and your heart set on the perfect lamb who supersedes the perfect law. The perfect lamb in your place is greater than the perfect law of freedom because he enables you to live as a free person, no longer under the weight and the condemnation of sin and death. You are, if you're a believer in Jesus, a child of God. And the weight of the requirements of the law have been lifted off you and placed on Jesus, and he has fulfilled them perfectly. And yes, we still have to obey. We still have to obey because it's the best thing for us. It's the best way to live. But the ultimate crushing weight of it has been taken off our shoulders by the perfect lamb. So as we close, let me ask you, what is your plan? What is your plan to live in God's word this year? Individually? Individually. Um, I, the, Like I said, there's never been a, a time in history when you can... Uh, choose from so many different Bible reading plans and devotionals or whatever. It is so easy. You can listen to the Bible if you don't like reading it. Uh, you know, it's not access that's our problem. It's desire. And maybe that's where you're starting this morning. You're listening to me and you're thinking, sounds like a great idea, but Doug, to be honest, you sound pretty excited about it, but I just don't feel, I don't share your energy for this. My life is busy I've tried this Bible reading block and it's just the wheels came off it. And actually, to be honest, I don't really feel like reading the Bible. And from that's a good place to be. I suppose, I mean, the honesty is good where, where you are, not ideal. But to start there, to start with what is honestly going on in your heart, to say, look, I actually don't have any desire to draw near to God or to be alive in His Word. Bring that heart to God this morning and say, Lord, would you start a fire in me? Would you overcome my own apathy and reluctance and indifference? Because you were made for more. I want to wind your mind back again. to say Where there is a lack of desire and a lack of obedience, you need to ask the bigger questions. Does the Spirit of God live in me? Because the Spirit of God living in you produces a desire for the things of God. And it's not perfect, and there's lots of false thoughts and stuff like that, but come to God with a genuine open heart to say, Lord, I don't desire you as much as I, as, as much as I should. Would you give me a desire for more of you that I don't currently have? And if you do have that, well, this, this morning has provoked in you some kind of desire to know God more, to grow. Take time today. Take time this week to, to figure out a plan. If you don't, if you need help, phone us. And message us at the church. We will drop everything and help you develop a plan so that you can be in this book and this book can be in you. It is the only thing that will transform you this year. All the other things are secondary. All the other things are secondary to being in this book and having it in you. So what is your plan? To do it for yourself and then to do it with others. I think this is this is a contention that I make often, that we have moved Christianity into such an individualistic thing. We've made it about me and Jesus. 
and in the scriptures you don't really see that that's why christians struggle because everyone just tries to go it alone you need an army with you you need brothers and sisters and friends with you helping you speaking the words of the of the truth of the gospel over your life holding up your hands as it were when your arms are a bit pup reminding you calling you back to church when you've wandered away inviting you into community group helping you to see yourself clearly because we don't see ourselves clearly others sometimes can see us more clearly we can see ourselves we can be self-deceived so i want to say what andrew said earlier you, you i want to encourage you into some kind of community figure out how it works for you and how how can best work for you but you've got to be with others together pursuing jesus together so it's not a it's not about like i said the the brownie points or gold stars it's about this is about how we thrive how we thrive we would create the conditions for growth and god does the rest as it were god sends the rain we plow the soil we can plant the seeds god sends the rain i want to encourage you this morning have a plan for, for, for turning up the soil of your own heart, planting the seeds of the Word of God in your life, and wait for God to send the rain on you. You will be amazed at what happens. You will be unrecognizable to other people if this is not already a part of your life. I'm so convinced about the transforming power of being in God's Word and the crucial and the crucial aspect of it, James says, you don't want to be self-deceived. Don't just listen, guys. It's great that you come on Sunday. It really is. We love having you here. And some of you pay attention, and that's lovely. But that's still hearing. What is your action plan for doing? What is your action plan for doing? Because that's the contention that James makes. Hearing gets you nowhere. Hearing just leaves you in a self-deceived place unless you actually do something with what you hear. It's better that you didn't hear. And so I want to encourage you to have an action plan to do with what you hear. Some of you have been coming to church, you've been Christians forever. And you have stalled. You've stalled in your growth and your maturity and your health. And I honestly believe the missing thing is because maybe you've loved knowledge more than actually doing. And the accumulation of knowledge puffs up the heart. It just makes you proud and gives you a big head and a shriveled up heart. Maybe this is the year to lower the input and up the output. More doing, less listening. You've heard enough. You've heard enough. Get cracking. Start doing some of what you've heard you should do. Let's pray. Jesus, we we worship you this morning. You are you are the living word. And it's been so it's been so good to be together as a church family again this morning to to sing to you and to worship um to worship you, to pray, to listen to your word. We thank you that you are the living word that it's not that you've spoken, it's that you continue to speak and you've been speaking to us this morning. And we thank you. We thank you, Father, that there is 
a rest for our souls because of what Jesus has done on the cross. That, that, that faith in you is not about all these things that we have to do and hoops we have to jump through. You have completely, fully, and finally accomplished that saving work through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And for us, there is an invitation to receive that and to walk in freedom. We want to remind ourselves of that, that we don't want to be a duty-bound people. We want to be a delight, a people who delight in you. And that we get we get to grow. We get to read your word. We get to pursue you. We're not trying to achieve anything. It's all been achieved for us. We're just living out the freedom that you've won for us. We pray this morning, um, Father, that you would stir in our hearts a, a, a deepening desire for more of you. This is something that only you can impart to us uh, through the Holy Spirit is a desire for more of you that helps us overcome our apathy and our indifference and our love for other things. And it's what we need more than anything else. Everything flows from it. And so we humble ourselves before you this morning and say, Father, would you grant us out of your mercy a deeper and deepening desire for more of you and a love for your word. We want to be a we want to be a church family that is deeply, deeply shaped and formed by your word. And so we pray you would help us to have land to get ourselves into it and it into us, that we would be people of the word. And as we live there, the spirit would change us and we would flourish. We would live alive to you because we're anchored in your word. We pray that this would be a year where we experience radical transformation radical love for you, radical love for others, radical growth and health in our lives because we live in the word and it lives in us. And you show yourself faithful to transform us by the power of the spirit through the truth of your word. We ask that you would do that for us because you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.